0: Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin Podcast. My name is Matt Bruschi, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to Thanksgiving here in Wisconsin. Jorna Taylor is not with us. She is actually, I think she's with George. George and Reno, I think they're having uh, they're having mashed potatoes as we speak. Uh, but we do have Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, welcome. Good morning, everyone. morning, he is wrong. Are it is actually, really, no, releasing? it's afternoon. Okay, it's we're afternoon. in the afternoon. Yes. Okay. No, 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 I'm just saying we're recording in the afternoon. We do normally record Thursday morning, but as everybody knows, it is Thanksgiving weekend and we want to wish everybody a uh, happy Thanksgiving. And we have a great topic. We kind of got a Thanksgiving gift, I guess you could say, politically this week. It's been, a, it's been an extraordinarily rough stretch which I believe our snarkiness on the podcast the last couple of weeks would reflect. But this week we had some very good news about the redistricting lawsuit that we spoke about extensively on last week's podcast. And so we have a special guest joining us. And that special guest uh, to talk about uh, the redistricting lawsuit is Sachin Chetta, And Sachin is currently the director of the uh, Fair Elections Project, which brought the lawsuit and is helping sort of organize Uh, support for the lawsuit. But he's also a former organizer here at Citizen Action. He's a current cooperative member, and so we're really happy to have Sachin with us to talk more about the lawsuit. Uh, Welcome, Sachin.
1: Thanks very much, Matt. Good afternoon to you as well, Robert, and uh, all the team here at Citizen Action. I'm really excited to talk about the case. So first off,
0: very briefly, just remind our listeners about just the case itself, but then let's get into a discussion about sort of What's next? And this is obviously very exciting. So,
1: Sachin? Yeah. So, simply put, uh, a group of citizens here in Wisconsin, uh, who all happen to be Democratic voters, brought a lawsuit in federal court about a year and a half ago, alleging that the maps were uh, written in such a discriminatory manner, that they're they're drawn in such a way that Democrats could essentially never reach a majority. Even if they got a huge majority of the votes, they'd never have a huge majority of the seats. Uh, And after uh, a long process that included a series of motions back and forth and a trial, uh, the court, uh, which is a federal court, a federal panel, ruled this week that uh, the map in Wisconsin is, in fact, unconstitutional and should be thrown out and replaced with a map that is more fair uh, so that every Wisconsin citizen has the right to elect their chosen
2: representatives and and have a chance at organizing uh, into a majority. So gerrymandering goes way back. In fact, it's uh, named after... Uh, New York governor from the 1820s, I think, right? Something like that. Yeah.
1: Elbridge yeah. Gerry. Right.
2: Lander. So just kidding. <laughs> people don't even remember the person, they just remember the word. Right. And so this has been going on for a long, long time. Courts have traditionally given the legislatures and Congress kind of their prerogative on this, even though I think you could argue that this was a violation of basic democratic principles from the outset right so what's different now you have people like speaker Voss saying that they followed all the standards and all the applicable rules and now the judges are moving the goalposts, basically
1: yeah. So there's a couple of issues there. Uh, the word gerrymander is a little bit more broad than what we're talking about. Right. So we're talking specifically about a partisan gerrymander. Uh, so maps drawn in such a way as to give preference to one political party. There's also racial gerrymandering and there's gerrymandering for other purposes. Um, traditionally, it you know meant kind of funny looking districts drawn for whatever purpose we're talking about. Um, but what the courts have said, what the Supreme Court has said in a series of cases that date back uh, more than 30 years, is that it is quite likely that there is some uh, partisan gerrymandering that is, uh, if, if, if broad enough, if deep enough, if bad enough, that it, will, it would rise to an unconstitutional place. Uh, but they didn't know what standard to use. And so what they, the, the Supreme Court did in a series of cases was invite a challenge to propose a metric to say, how do we measure this? How do we use math? How do we use science to determine how much is too much? And that's what was unique about the case here in Wisconsin, is that we had a set of facts, both about the process by which the maps were drawn, which was secretive, which was biased, which was corrupt, and which the federal courts had already said was really kind of more horrible than one could imagine. Uh, And then we had math that said that it is a worse gerrymander than almost anywhere else that we've ever looked uh, in the modern era. And so those things combined uh, let the court uh, come to the decision that uh, we finally had too much. We can draw a line in the sand. Here's what the math should be. And clearly, by uh, any measure, what happened in Wisconsin in the 2011 map drawing uh, is unconstitutional.
2: So in the Brown versus Board of Education case, for example, famously The way African-American kids preferred white dolls to black dolls was one of the key pieces of evidence as far as what it did to kids uh, to put them in segregated Jim Crow schools. So in this case, it wasn't something as iconic as a doll. Right. But it was a it was an idea, right, of wasted votes, like a quotient of how many Democratic versus Republican votes are wasted. Right.
1: That's right. And, you know, basically, Democrats uh, Democratic votes meant a lot less. Uh, and, you know, we proposed a standard and we talked about this efficiency gap of wasted votes and how how it was unfair to Democrats. What the court came back and said, look, there's a lot of evidence, but we're going to take the totality of the evidence. And the thing that seemed to be most compelling to them is if you look at the 2010 and 2012 and 2014 elections, there were wild swings in the turnout, right? So the Republicans were up in 2010, the Democrats were up in 2012, the Republicans were up again in 2014 in terms of the votes that they got for the assembly statewide. But what happened in the legislature is the number of seats that each party had stayed essentially level. And what what the Republicans effectively did is they disconnected the election results from what happened in the allocation of seats in the legislature. And the court really just looked at that and said, look, you can just look at these outcomes and say, you know, if the Democrats get 52% of the seats and and they have a 24 seat or 21 seat deficit in the legislature, something is wrong. Um, And we think the scale of it based on the totality of the evidence is so bad that it's unconstitutional.
2: Yeah. And, you know, the original idea behind House of Representatives and then legislatures which are modeled on the House of Representatives if you look at the Federalist Papers was that the legislatures would be very responsive public opinion when public opinion shifted, when there came a major issue uh, that, that people were opposed to, from the from, uh, then there would be a big shift in seats and so in a way it was supposed to reflect the currents of public opinion and so if you create essentially a, a system basically that has an airbag in it where no matter what happens you get the same result it's defeating the whole purpose of having yeah. <laughs> You know, representation of legislators as opposed to represent public opinion in its direction. And so that's partly what's going on here. And that's why this isn't just about one party or the other party winning. It's fundamentally about democracy. In fact, we should be against this, I think, as progressives, even if a Democratic Party was gerrymandering in this fashion.
1: That, that's exactly right. And, and you know, we took a really strong position on that. Our, our project is co chaired by a Republican and a Democrat, two former Senate majority leaders here in Wisconsin. Uh, and we've talked at length about. About how you know we're we're against the principle of partisan gerrymandering. Nobody should do it. It is happening in other states, both by Republicans and Democrats, just by the virtue of the 2010 election coming right before the census results were out. uh, It's done a little bit more in today's politics by Republicans because they have control of more states, Uh, but it should be uh, eliminated everywhere. And that's the goal of the project. And that's the goal of this lawsuit. It's not for Democrats to suddenly have power to do something that Republicans have been doing. It's to stop everybody from doing it.
0: I'll add for our listeners, we'll put some links on
1: both to some of the folks behind the lawsuit and
0: uh, uh, addressing some of what Sachin just talked about in terms of uh, their interest in this uh, in a nonpartisan way and how this if this uh, lawsuit is effective that how this will impact in other states, in particular how it will also impact Democrats, which is, of course, I think of interest. So if you're interested in more of that, we'll have some links on that.
2: So what happens next? This was apparently some kind of special panel, so it goes directly to the US Supreme Court. The appeal that Attorney General Schimmel has already promised, if not actually executed yet, and then we have a four to four court right now. So could Trump appoint a Supreme Court justice that would thwart this case, basically? What's your, your assessment of yeah, what so comes l- next?
1: Let's unpack that a little. There's a few different issues. One is the, the immediate next step is that the court uh, in its ruling said that this map is unconstitutional. But they did not implement a remedy. Uh, they didn't just kind of accept what we said they should do as a replacement. And they've actually asked for briefs from both sides, the state and the plaintiffs. Uh, they are open to testimony. Uh, so it's possible that the next few steps will will take some time. The mm-hmm. first round of briefs is due on December 21st. Uh, but my guess is that won't be the last step before we actually have a remedy in, uh, imposed by the court. Uh, and the remedy could include both a process in terms of how is a map drawn, who draws the map, when is it implemented, when will the map take effect in terms of elections, will there be a special election, will there uh, wait through the 2018 and 2020 cycles, obviously then we'll have another round of redistricting after 2020. So there's a lot of issues yet to be resolved in this litigation, Uh, either at this interlocutory step before there's a remedy or after there's a remedy, the state can appeal. Uh, The Supreme Court doesn't have to grant cert. They don't decide whether or not to take the case. They just have to take the case Mm -hmm. uh, because redistricting cases go through this special abbreviated process. And so uh, if they take the case uh, or if there's an appeal and when they take the case, uh, then they'll have to schedule argument and then there'll be a decision that could happen later this term, which ends in June, or it could be in the fall. Uh, And so there might be eight justices, there might be nine. We think there's a really strong trial record either way. Uh, And we have to recognize that uh, it was a 2-1 majority on this three-judge panel. Uh, The judge who wrote the opinion uh, is a Republican appointee. He was appointed by Reagan. He was a constitutional law professor at Notre Dame, which is a famously conservative law school. Um, This is not someone who's a who's a, you know, left wing, wide eyed commie radical. This is someone who is a sober conservative. uh, In fact, you could even say maybe right wing judge. Um, and joined with the judge uh, appointed by uh, uh, President Carter. Mm -hmm. So there's a very strong record to go in front of the Supreme Court. And we don't go into that with any lack of confidence that we can get five or even six judges of the current uh, 4-4 split. So no matter who Trump appoints, uh, you know, we have some confidence that we're going to win. When this case was brought, it was a nine-court judge, judge, nine-judge court, and uh, Justice Scalia was still alive. So we knew we'd have to get five votes amongst those. Uh, Mm -hmm. That math hasn't changed. Um, if they're still at 4-4 when we get up there, then, um, you know, they have to get to five to overturn this decision. So I think there's an open question. I know that Schimmel immediately said that they would appeal, but I think there's an open question as to whether they do, because the risk that they run is if they appeal and we win uh, that appeal, which I think is likelier than not now that we've won at the trial level, then this is law for everybody in the whole country immediately. If they don't appeal... Basically, there'll be a process to draw a new map in Wisconsin, and that'll be the end of it until there's further significant leg- legislation. So I think there's or litigation. So I think there's, there's a real strong argument that the National Republicans are probably in a better place if they don't push the envelope on this one and just go for a new map here in Wisconsin.
2: And I know we don't want you to reveal any legal strategy that would be harmful to the case, but do you have any broad outlines you can give us about what a remedy might look like? Or the, would you rather not?
1: Yeah, no. So the lucky yeah. thing here is I can't reveal any legal strategy because I'm not a lawyer and I'm not a right. party to the case. Right. Uh, we organized the case and helped recruit the plaintiffs and the and the lawyers, but they really do operate, you know, with with that mm-hmm. kind of veil of privilege. And I'm not under that veil very not intentionally. Yet. Um, so, um, I couldn't tell you anything, uh, if, and if I wanted to, um, they're going to decide over the course of the next few weeks, what they're going to propose. And, uh, frankly, I'm, I, I literally won't know until they propose it, um, on the 21st when they file a document, uh, because you know, they don't bring me under the veil of privilege and we're, we're very careful about that. But it certainly so.
2: seems the case isn't worth a thing if it's not redrawing. Uh, these di- these assembly districts, this means redrawing the Senate districts as well.
1: Yeah, so that's, that's automatic, right? So the, the, we, we don't actually go through a process to draw Senate districts in Wisconsin. They're they're basically nested, right? So mm-hmm. you take three assembly districts and that becomes a right. Senate district. So they are going to redraw. The the, the the remedy will include the redrawing of the entire map of both houses of the legislature. That goes without saying. I think the question is, what is the timing of that? Who does the redrawing? Uh, what does that imply in terms of what when are the there are elections? Are you trying to keep sitting? and communities together or yeah, not. Yeah, so those things thing. have to be yeah. complied with, right? You have to have communities of interest. You have to comply with the Voting Rights Act. You have to mm-hmm. have numerically equal districts. Now we've added the standard that it has to be uh, a reasonable level of efficiency gap. Um, and so how the court does that in the remedy phase is really going to determine what the standard is going forward. And, and you know, that's that's how uh, Supreme Court jurisprudence happens in this country. This is how change happens. Uh, and And it's a good thing. So, you mentioned it
0: sounds like there may, there's, this is obviously going to be a very complicated process, but there may be some opportunity for public input, even, or for people to offer input further on? Did
1: I did all I the, hear that? or what? Yeah, all that we know is a 160-page decision. I've read through the entire thing only once so yeah. far. Uh, it takes a lot of time to, and, and again, I'm the layperson, uh, but they did clearly leave the door open to take testimony. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that that's not like a, a legislative hearing where people sure. just show up and give testimony. It means that the the lawyers would call witnesses or, or provide written documents, uh, but it's not impossible to imagine that uh, somewhere in this process, that you know, uh, an Amicus brief, an Amicus brief, or some other uh, venue will be available for other people to to weigh in. I don't know what that looks like, and I think that we're gonna we won't find out until probably in the new year.
2: It's and another thing to think about, and this is beyond the legal case you've organized and what the judges are going to decide. We should never think as progressives that winning a legal case solves every problem or replaces building a movement. So let's say this happens, right? and it looks like it will, then we have a lot of Democrats who are in currently safe districts because they were packed with Democrats. Well, they're going to be in more competitive districts, so they better you know, campaign well, have good sessions, build a base, etc. And then these new districts opened up, we better have strong candidates, for example. And so, uh, quite frankly... Uh, there's a lot that has to happen in order to shift the causation of the legislature. This just creates a fair playing field, but it's still a playing field, and there'll still be competition uh, with the current majority for progressives in 2018, regardless of whether the, the, you know, we won't be on a, I remember in graduate school, uh, the, the professors used to make the graduate students play volleyball on a hill where they were at the top of the hill. And by the way, that makes 60 year old guys much better volleyball players. <laughs> so now it's going to be an even volleyball court. But we still got to win the game. Well, and that's, you know, 10 years
1: ago, the, the, there was a very competitive election for the legislature in Wisconsin. Right. And you had eight seats change hands from the Republicans to the Democrats, although the Republicans retained control of the assembly in that election. Um, you had competitive races all over the state. And huge turnout, huge turnout on college campuses because of the marriage equality referendum that was on the ballot in 2006. We were in a place where both parties were really playing at full strength in terms of candidate recruitment and funding. That was also a pre-Citizens United era of funding. We were living uh, in a world where soft money had essentially been effectively eliminated. So it was a much better uh, level playing field from a campaign finance standpoint. This is going to be very different, right? Mm -hmm. So now we're operating from a place of, you know, uh, ineffectiveness, maybe, amongst uh, Democrats in terms of recruiting and, and running good campaigns, hugely being outspent because of uh, the changes in campaign finance law and, you know, not having you know, an incumbent governor as the Democrats did in 2002. So there's all kinds of factors that are different. It's going to be a hard slog. This is still an uphill fight for Democrats in Wisconsin to win the majority, even if the map were completely fair. And again, the Republicans are still in charge of everything uh, in terms of government. So what I'd say is that the map is likely to be more fair, but it's not going to be a 50-50 map, right? It's, it's, it's going to have some sort of bias in it, most likely. So we'll, we'll see. But it, it's really going to be incumbent on the movement to, to organize, to, be, uh, to have their voice uh, heard in those elections whenever they take place. And well,
0: uh, look, I think, I think the most important thing here is you've got to give people some hope. And I think that this is actually providing people some hope because this is a really, we've mentioned it, nonpartisan, but a critically important thing here in Wisconsin, certainly for progressives and Democrats who have felt like these maps have been obviously written against them. But it provides some hope where there's a lot of hopelessness that actually things could be very different in a couple of years when we go back into the cycle in some of these state legislative races, which has also been very daunting in candidate recruitment and other things because... They get that they get what the maps are, and it made it. It makes it very difficult to recruit candidates for quixotic elections where they know they have no chance to win, and and to recruit volunteers to get out and do doors when they know the district isn't really competitive. Right. So, rigged, so all
2: of this stuff, uh, dirty money, uh, dominating the system, photo ID. You add it all up. At least if you take one element of the rigging out. But there's still others.
1: Yeah. And this yeah. is the biggest thing. What, I, what I'd say is that, you know, it, it, it's not something that just helps progressives and Democrats. At right. some level, it's going to help the Republican Party become more responsive to their constituents, because the reality yeah. is now, you know, they are uh, afraid of their extreme flank. Uh, and that's what that's the factor. You know, we've had lots of primaries in solidly Democratic districts where uh you know, a moderate candidate has been replaced by a more left candidate. That's also been true in Republican uh, districts. And so the, the great middle of Wisconsin politics that held sway for a good 50 years um, had has been eliminated, right? You don't have pro-choice Republicans. You don't have pro, pro-life Democrats. You don't have uh, you know, advocates of public education as much amongst the Republicans. You don't have uh, as many uh, pro-business voices amongst Democrats. There's all kinds of things that have changed in our political culture. Um, and that diversity is important to make good public policy, uh, to build the great consensus around things like supporting public schools and the university. Uh, so we're really hopeful that this is helpful not only to Democrats being able to get more seats and compete for the legislature. But bringing more diversity to the Republican bench as well, so that there are advocates of things that all Wisconsinites care about uh, amongst their uh, uh, cohort as well, and that that's something that's been missing and has really affected our our, our state in really bad ways.
2: Yeah. So two things you probably haven't seen the media that Sachin gave us today are one that look to whether Schimmel actually appeals or not, because that's, no one's discussing that really, and that would suggest that they think they'll lose and they don't want to make it national, they want to nationalize a decision if they don't appeal. And the second thing is the nature of the modern Republican Party in Wisconsin, the extreme Tea Party nature of it is partly caused by these rigged maps that you would be punished for putting forward a a totally extreme Tea Party candidate in the new system because you could lose to a Democrat. Uh, But in the current system, the, the, the districts are so packed, the only thing they have to fear is being primaried. And so those two things are not being discussed enough but are critical implications of this decision.
1: That's right.
0: So this gives us hope. And we got to have hope. It's very important. I believe Harvey Milk said that. Without hope, there's not really much of anything. So, so again, happy Thanksgiving, uh, Sachin. We really appreciate you taking the time to join us and enlighten us. And we'll probably have you back on as this moves forward. Obviously, this is uh, critically important.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. If I could put in a plug for uh, people to go to our website. Absolutely. At Uh We try to update the news page. We put all of the documents about the lawsuit there. so You can read the judge's order. Uh, you can uh, obviously contribute to the cause and help us uh, move the ball forward. Uh, and then our, our social media pages are all, all at uh, at W.I. Fair Elections. Uh, so that's Facebook and Twitter. And, and and we update those pretty regularly so people can stay up to date with the news and uh, really appreciate it. And we'll
0: put links on our uh, podcast Web page for that. So thanks again, such an appreciate thanks to it. both
1: of you. Thanks. This Citizen action for all you do. Excellent. So, Robert,
0: before we go. Just, uh, there's, I know you have some thoughts and you wanted to express to some of the progressives out there who, uh, again, we record on Wednesday, maybe hearing about a potential issue with the election around, uh, three of our states and whether the ballots were actually tabulated correctly or issues with the uh, vote count. Could you talk a little bit more about that briefly?
2: Well, this is the most intriguing evidence so far of, uh, a rigged election on our side, because there have also been a lot of kind of flaky theories out there. Quite frankly, um, one problem with all of this is, is that Trump is so much discredited. This idea of the election is rigged by him claiming it throughout the primary it becomes very hard to advance this sort of challenge without facing the same kind of same uh, kind of a backlash. Well,
0: obviously, Robert, when I first heard it, yeah. I kind of went
2: oh, right, like because it. If it's
0: true, it's incredibly imperiling, right, that we have this. I mean, people are, the, the lack of confidence will just escalate. So the clock is ticking,
2: like literally when this podcast appears, um, as far as asking for a recount. And the, the three states involved in this discussion are Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, both of, all three of which are very close. And some very critical, credible people, including the head of the Computer Science and, and Security Department, University of Michigan, uh, have found a correlation statistically between more Trump votes by 7% and having electronic voting machines that have no paper record. And so they're proposing the correlation is strong enough in the three states to have swung the election, but of course to prove they were tampered with or hacked or anything like that, even by the Russians, right, uh, you would have to examine the voting machines, you would have to do a recount, you'd have to be involved, and so the problem is, They've been telling the Hillary campaign, this John Podesta, it's been reported, uh, has been directly in conversations with these experts, their lawyers and their computer scientists, uh, they have not, so far not moved as of the recording of this podcast, probably because it's a crapshoot. They don't know how it'll turn out, but it would be such a firestorm if Hillary was to do this. I don't know if the Obama State Department of Justice is considering this or not. There's no, there's no reporting to that effect. Uh, the rumors we're hearing is, is that the Green Party may try to do it, but it costs money. You have to If it's not within 1%, you have to pay for a recount, which is very expensive. So I don't know if that's actually going to happen or if the Green Party is going to call for the state to do it or what, but that's the rumor. I, the truth is we may never know because there may never really be a recount and may never will be a investigation. So this will be go back, unfortunately, go into the annals of the October surprise and other things which, which were tantalizing and which there was evidence for but were never uh, proven to the satisfaction of most people. And so that's the problem. I may be wrong. And who knows, by the time this podcast posts, maybe there'll be a full recount in progress, but I'm saying I doubt it, unfortunately. And probably we're going to have to move on. This was an extremely close election. Hillary won the popular vote, but it looks like uh, per the 18th century electoral college system uh, that Trump is probably president.
0: Oh, so it was a so great start I, to the show with lots of hope. This despairs me because it just, you know, it's... if. If there's never a recount, we'll never hear the end of this, right? Which is always dispiriting for democracy and and makes people think the elections are, indeed flawed. And you know, and if you know, if we actually went through and it was true, that's also well,
2: incredibly imperiling for democracy. We just so. need to remember that circumstantial <sighs> evidence of a hack is not proof of a hack. Uh, of course, and we're in a political system. Elections are political, and so. The ability of anyone to actually launch a challenge and take the risk of launching a challenge. And the consequences for the Democratic Party are pretty severe if they launch such a challenge, there is such a recount, and it comes out Trump's way. Uh, And so that's part of, I'm sure that's part of the calculation
0: here. This will all play out by Friday, it sounds like, or at least uh, the first domino will. With that, Robert, let's uh, weekend furlough. It's Thanksgiving. Where are you going this weekend? What's your. Thanksgiving plans?
2: I'm going to Chicago, uh, where my mother lives, and my brother and nephews and sister-in-law will be going down. My mother had hip replacement surgery, as podcast listeners know, so she is not mobile, so we're going to her. Um, that's the major thing. I, that means that's I'm going to miss out on the annual waiting in line for the uh lakefront brewery special black friday beer which is a russian imperial porter i understand so i hope so- someone saves one so i can try it but uh well, we'll not be in milwaukee to, to we wait have in a line lot of listeners that.
0: in milwaukee so i have a feeling one of them might just do that so uh, you can uh Maybe maybe you'll actually get dinner with Robert if you reserve one of those uh, one of those uh, special beers. They're fifteen dollars a bottle, <laughs> limit three, is what I understand. <laughs> that's great, that's excellent. I'm gonna I'm gonna be heading over west of Madison to go visit my sister Sarah and her husband Nick and their four daughters for Thanksgiving. So I'm very much looking forward to it. I haven't actually been to their house since they moved from Champaign, Illinois. So very much looking forward to that. I'll tell you, though, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be thinking of the redistricting lawsuit, because that, that, to me, is where we need to look. It's, you know, and it's the kind of thing that it's a good thing for us to be talking about. And I actually think some of those Trump voters uh, uh, actually probably don't care for the partisan gerrymandered district. So it's a good thing for us to be talking to them about. And maybe this could become a big issue in, uh, if in the Supreme Court uh, nomination process to show that this person isn't a complete partisan hack. Anyways, with that, everybody have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and uh, we want to thank Brian Wildridge, our producer, who helped make this podcast happen on short notice this week. So, see everybody next week. Battlegrounds, with and